how to develop a sense of self-worth. Well, first off, realize that your intrinsic sense of value is not dependent upon the external outcome. On the thoughts and opinions of others, these material objects, these material experiences that are fleeting, that are finite, that will one day burn. Coming back to what will never burn. That which was never created and never will end. Who you are. Now, it's an interesting question how to develop your sense of self-worth. Because it's a bit of a misnomer in and of itself. In which that there is no creating of self-worth. You are naturally imbued with it. You are whole as you are. You have lost your way. Developing your sense of self-worth is more so a returning to your sense of self-worth. A deletion of attachment to that which exists outside of yourself. A deletion of asking other people to provide you with that. Now, you may notice that, particularly in the world of social dynamics, that many people are afflicted with this problem. In fact, it's not even just social dynamics. It's in general, 21st century society. They're always looking for all these stimulus points, right? Cars, money, houses, sexual partners, etc., to base this, make the basis of their formation of what value is. And that's, you know, those numbers, those checks, that's who I am. That's what makes me worthy. That's what makes me valuable. Completely missing the fact that the experience that they give, the love, peace, and joy that they can give, that equanimity, that calmness, the serenity with which they practice life, completely underscoped, completely ignored. Yet, what if you lived a life like that? What if when an old man walking down the street who says hi to you and you stop for five seconds just to inquire, how is your life? How are you doing today? Not in the sense of how are you, mate, but how are you doing today? To just understand who another human being is when you look into their eyes, to give them all of yourself in a moment, to tap so deeply into the presence of this moment in which that you could delete a sense of self in time. So this concept of worth wouldn't even exist. We're almost here at the end of this podcast and the beginning of this podcast. Your sense of self-worth is but a figment of imagination. It is but a concept in and of itself. And how you believe yourself to be worthy of other people's love and affection and interest and engagement would lead you to a conversation in which that, who am I? Who am I? And then you would go down the pathway, which we always go down in these podcasts. A pathway of deleting why. Going through seven, eight, twenty layers of why. Every time you come up with an answer, why? Why do I believe that about myself? Whether it's because you believe yourself to be your job, your body, the relationships you've had, the experiences that have been done upon you, the pain and trauma inflicted upon you, you inflicted upon yourself. If you keep asking why, if you get to the bottom of that barrel of why, you will eventually come to understand who you are. Yet most people never dig down that deep because to dig down that deep is to let go. And to let go and to delete your attachments to all things and beings in this world, it's a journey. It's a journey that happens in a moment. It's a journey. It's a journey in which that is accessible to all of us. But it's a journey back inside. And a journey back inside would surely have you realize that regardless of whether this woman tonight approves of me and says, you're a cool, attractive guy, whether in so many words or whether through her actions, just hanging off your arm, wanting to kiss you, wanting to go home back with you, wanting to create a life with you. How about wanting to create a life with you? How about those of you that just have this sense of intrinsic loneliness? Those of you that would dictate yourself, define yourself as being lonely, as being without love. Is that how you define loneliness? Have you even asked yourself, whenever I've said to myself, I feel lonely right now, I feel sad right now. And what does that really mean? What are you scared of? What are you resisting? It may appear that we are jumping around a lot in this podcast, but actually what we seem to be doing here is just throwing many arrows, shooting many arrows at the same target. I'm allowing you to fly on many different arrows to the same realization here when it comes to self-worth. Now, it's a big problem. It's a big problem when someone comes in and they approach their relationships with others seeking to prove their worth through that relationship. 
So unpack that. What do I mean by that? If you're coming from a position in which that you have to prove that you're worthy, that everything that you do, everything that you say is a test. And not a test that they gave you, but a test that you put upon yourself. Did you like that? Did you not like that? Should I do more of that? Should I keep doing that? What if I do this? Would they give me more points? Would that make that person see more of me? Would I appear to be more? Even that concept of appearing to be more. Once a cup is already full, it is full. What use is it in filling an already full cup to overfill? But therein lies a problem in that analogy in which that those who are seeking to prove themselves by adding more, right, by getting more accolade, whether it be psychologically, or it's that, oh, that guy's such a baller, that guy's such a G, that guy's such a cool guy, does so many cool things, has such a cool life, has so many cool things, has become such a cool person. And you just chase and chase and chase this cool-esque, this cool-esqueness to who you are. The chase of that in and of itself proves a cup that has no bottom. It'll never end. And I think at some point, if you are going to come to your own acceptance of self-worth, you must realize that I could never be given that. For when would that ever end? It's a very logical and rational argument that is very irrefutable, which is that if I'm going to say that the car's money and sexualized ideas of fantasy and people around me that I could glean more validation from X, Y, Z, keep going, keep going, whatever shit you're into, whatever drugs and addiction and food and porn and whatever social media, whatever game you want to play that is sourcing, you are sourcing your validation from. Tell me when it ends. Tell me when it ends and I will happily sit down and have this conversation again with you and I will review my position on this. But until one of you can tell me concretely, can define at this financial number is when I will give myself the stamp of approval I am worthy. When I have this many houses, when I have this portfolio, when I have had sex with this many people, when I have achieved this many followers on social media, then I will be worthy. Just tell me when. And then when you get there, if we could just review how you feel at that time when you have surmounted the peak of the mountain in which that you thought your self-worth would be intrinsically built upon and we ask you, do you feel worthy? And if there was some way to get past your bullshit, the lies within your mind, because how many do you know? Friends, family, associates, people you on the scheme know of that pretend to live that life that they did attain some level of materialistic achievement and they purport to be very well, very happy, very balanced inside their minds. Yet, maybe you could sense that as all human beings have evolved quite well to be over the last several hundred thousand years, the ultimate lie detectors. We are the ultimate lie detectors. You know when someone is fronting, when someone's putting up veils, when someone is choosing to rather show you a mask than the crumbling, petering, festering face beneath, which is filled with dark, toxic mentalities of that. I'm on this endless chase. I'm on this endless chase. Why are you seeking things outside of yourself when all that you need exists within? It's not that I'm against capitalism. It's not that I'm against using these brilliant technologies as I am doing right now to help 
spread your message, to help spread your love, to help spread what it is that you see as best service to the beings of this world. I'm not against that at all. What I'm against is the side dish that comes along with that, which is a game. A game of covering up the light, the beauty that reflects from within. How much more beautiful you could be, how much more beauty you could experience in this life if you did away with all the chasing. If, say, you're a male listening to this and you were single and that you were happening upon a interest in the opposite gender and you decide to go out that night with your friends and thought, I would really like to meet someone tonight. I feel like I've been working on myself. I feel like I, in as maybe I've heard in some other podcast before, I've been working on my purpose, my physical, my mental, and now it's my social development. I've got a cursory idea of what my inner essence is, what my inner knowing is, as has been stated in those podcasts a few times, those podcasts. But I'm getting there. I'm not quite sure who I am, but I'm getting there. At least I'm going my way. I'm on my ways with this temple. And on my ways with this temple, I realize I do need some level of social development, particularly what another podcaster will refer to as a conscious competence. And a conscious competence would mean that I know how to carry an interaction. I know how to deliver the best experience possible through principles such as direct, congruent, authentic with empathy, direct with my intent, congruent with my external actions, authentic with my internal compass, my internal morality, my ethics, and empathy. Make sure that everything I do is always geared at, aimed at, sighted at the best experience for the other person to understand who they are, to align with their frequency of energy. And if they're if there is a misalignment, I can help bring them up. If there is a misalignment and I've attempted to bring them up and we realize this is just not working, this is we're just not made for each other, that's okay. I can be at peace with that outcome. Go back to those three keys. Love for the journey, at peace with the outcome, joy for doing the thing. These principles. So let's say that you had some cursory, just a cursory idea of all that. And you decided you were going to go out tonight and you said, I want to meet someone tonight. Well, first off, why do you want to meet that person is the first question that person should ask, particularly when we're discussing the idea of self-worth. Isn't it an illustratedly interesting idea, illustrated with interest, that those who do not value themselves and those who cannot see a sense of worth within themselves seek the same in others? It's a nice game that you would like to play that you would misattribute responsibility for your lack of connection to who you are, aka your sense of self-worth, by seeking another, hoping that by finding a brilliant partner, a beautiful, attractive, intelligent, funny, physically capable, mentally acute person, that that would cover over the holes within me, if you have even been so willing and so humble to acknowledge said holes. Not realizing that in your seek and desire for that person, you are surely ignoring that within yourself. It's not a mistake that people that don't have a connection to their own sense of self-worth find that in others. Like attracts like. You're magnetized to that. If your charge, if your magnetic charge is that of a lacking sense of self-worth, I don't believe myself to be a worthy human being. That's why I'm chasing so hard, Adam. It's all well and good for you to sit there because you seem to have achieved your own sense of self-worth, but I haven't. And so I need to find that. I need to find that. We'll stop right there. Go back to the beginning of this podcast. There's nothing to find. There's nothing to find. There's only something for you to return to. How much more powerful you would be if you came to a realization that my sense of peace, my sense of love and joy is already here for me. How to get there though? What do you mean it's already here for me? I don't feel it within myself. If you don't feel love and peace 
say that again. If you don't feel love and peace and joy within yourself, it is because you are stopping yourself. Key word, resisting. If you can't feel the love, peace and joy within yourself, you must ask, what is it that I am resisting that would block that? What limiting beliefs, negative self-perceptions and egoic attachments am I choosing to uphold that would act as a form of resistance, a blockade, a wall, an ice shell that would stop you from feeling the warmth of all the intrinsic values that have been aforementioned? As you start to unpack this work within yourself, as you start to delve into that darkness that exists within you, a little light, a little enlightenment, a little realization would come to you that, of course, of course I never need to go out on a night, see a bunch of attractive girls and hope that if I interacted really well with them and they really liked me, that that would make me feel good about me. That if I got her number, that deems me worthy. That if I had sex with her, that deems me worthy. That if she wanted to be in a relationship with me, that deems me worthy. Now, this is where some people might get a little bit confused, but surely if someone was worthy, those things would appear as well. Absolutely. But you've got to get the order correct. We've got to look at the horse and the cart here. We've got to look at the, the roots, the trunk and the fruit here. Most people mistake the fruit for the roots. They think the fruit is the roots. They think that by getting the external validation that that, senses, that forms their sense of intrinsic groundedness, rudeness, value-ness, if you will, in this analogy here, that the fruit, and let me pause that one second, if you could reverse that and say instead, what if I came from the roots first? What if I tried to develop my sense of self first? Which is really just a connectedness. We have to really start to destroy that word develop because I use it because it's, uh, it's something you guys will relate to. It's something that in the clickbait title, it's easy to digest. But really, this podcast should be retitled to how to return to your sense of self-worth. How to return to your self-worth. And if you were going to do such a thing, you would surely focus on the roots of your actions first. The root of your being first. Let that sit for you. Focus on the root of your being first. And then in these quiet moments, in these daily moments, when you're out with your friends at a bar, when you're in your office, when you're at uni, when you're at the gym, and you see someone there that has a spark of interest, someone that you would love to go and meet, that you wouldn't focus on their approval, aka the fruit, as informing your rootedness, that your rootedness is your rootedness. The fact that I want to go over there and put forward the best version of me so that they can enjoy the best version of themselves and together mutually a best experience. If that is the focus and that is the reason for why you're doing things, then what matter is it whether they approve of you or not? If you hold no care for whether they think you are awesome, amazing, sexually attractive and want to go down on you right now, I don't mean that physically, literally, but I mean that in general. Stay with me. What matter is it? What matter is it whether any of those things were there present or not, if you did the very best you could. What is the very best you could do though? Let's break it down. Social dynamically, you're 50, intent, eye contact, vocal tonality slash projection, body language and vibe, overall vibration. Just very quickly here, a little quick synopsis there. Intent, why is that important? Human beings, that's all we care about for the most part. Nothing, no, no, nothing else you say or do will hold any weight if the intent is not clear. And once the intent is clear, 
In fact, having unclear intent is almost an intent in and of itself, or is almost a it's a signal in and of itself. Why is this person not being clear with me? Why is this person not being direct with me? But even so, if you break that down even a little bit further, if you've got someone who is being direct with you, is it benevolent or is it malevolent? Is it very clear that with their direct intent here, this guy just wants to take from me. This guy just wants to have sex with me and that's it. This guy just wants to show up to his buddies, that's it. This guy was hoping that I would give him his sense of self-worth. That's still a very direct intent. So we still have to be very clear about direct intent must be benevolent, cannot be malevolent, cannot be selfish, cannot be taking, has to be rooted and cited on the best experience for the person you're engaging with. That direct intent, which is that, I'm a man, you're a woman. Let's see if we connect. I don't need anything from you. I don't need this to progress any further than just seeing where our energies lie. And if it happens at this moment in time that whatever I'm presenting is not up with you, you're not down with it, that's okay. I'll be okay. I just came here because we're on this floating marble in the middle of the universe. No one knows how much longer they have to live. I've had people in my life that have transitioned on out of their physical mechanic. Right, they're dead. I know what it means to be alive. I know what death is now. I've experienced life and death in myself. And so I know that as I see you in front of me now, the best that I can do is give you the best experience. That's a benevolent intent. That's direct intent, which does not hide away from the fact that I am in fact a man. You are in fact a woman. And if we do connect, as is the nature of all life, a dance of sexual polarity, our entire existence is sexual polarity, masculine to feminine energy. The yin and yang, the sun and moon of all things, exists both on the macro and the micro, how you know it's a true principle. That you know that when you're lying in the ocean and you look up into the sky, and you happen to see the sun on one end and the moon on the other, you realize your place in existence. As you look into a woman's eyes, and you are deeply connected with that sense of masculine essence within you, masculine energy within you, and you recognize her feminine energy. You know your place in this life. You know where you came from. Back onto the intent of things. Direct it must be. I'm not going to be ashamed of the fact that we are sexual beings. So put forward unashamedly my sexual energy. Whether you take it or leave it, it is of no consequence. It matters not. For I know that it is not reflective of my inner core essence, my worth as a human being. How could my worth as a human being be destroyed by the reflection of another? Well, it could be if I was hoping that other was going to give me the approval. This is where the power lies, my friends. You have no power if you give it to someone else. So how many of you are asking others? How many of you are giving your power to others in an ask of some fleeting sense of worth? At some point, you're going to have to realize that the only power the only power and the only place in which my power rests is deeply within myself. And that sense of worth is exactly where that would be found. I just wonder, for those of you, how long it will take to get there. And really, it's just a matter of how many blocks do you have to remove? How many ice walls do we need to shatter? before we break you down to your absolute most raw and vulnerable state? This is why things like psychedelics... Intense social work, social dynamic work, 
near-death experiences, right, traumatic experiences in life in which that your entire foundations of reality have been rocked. That's why things of this nature are very good at getting someone to evolve, getting someone to at least, I mean, let me just backtrack that. I kind of got to the end of that sentence before I even started it. It's very good at getting people to the position in which they would like to evolve. What am I saying there? What I'm saying is that psychedelics, social dynamics, martial arts, near-death experiences, et cetera, et cetera, skydiving, et cetera, they aren't intrinsically paths of evolution. They only reveal your most raw and vulnerable state. They show you everything. They show you and illuminate everything, which is why I always refer to them as the illumination of fire, which is why we should pursue the illumination of fire. With the illumination of fire, we will burn away all of that which is inadequate, all of that which limits us, all of that which we perceive to be inadequacies, and to get through to the truth, the truth of who you are, your sense of self-worth, which is something that can never be given to you, something that can never be created outside of you. It's only something that can be developed deeply, deeply within you, which is even of itself a misnomer, that word, it is really a returning. It is a returning deeply, deeply within to something within yourself. feel that energy feel that power feel that power because i came from the exact same place i came from the place in which that a sense of self-worth was heavily dependent upon the opinions of my friends the opinions of women society in general it's exhausting it is absolutely exhausting to have to run this game so aren't you tired yet Aren't you tired yet? I sometimes think about my clients. I think you guys must be exhausted. (laughs) Because I know, because I came from the same place as you, I know how exhausting it is to give your power away. You think because in a short term and in a weird roundabout sense of way that in the short term, it seems easier just to go after money, go after women, go after houses, go on cars, et cetera. It just seems easier and it would save me more time, more energy if I just went after the things outside of myself rather than having to deal with the shit inside me, with the people that abused me at a very early age, with the traumatic experiences, with the abandonment, physical abuse, psychological abuse, sexual abuse. This podcast is brought to you by BoldDojo.com where you can book one-on-one coaching with myself in order to create action plans, overcome limiting beliefs, destroy negative self-perceptions and egoic attachments. Have a listening ear to the trials of your life helping you to move forward. You can also sign up for the free weekly email newsletter, The Bowl Sip. It's just a quick sip of social dynamics and anything I'm exploring on Fridays. Just go to boldojo.com, sign that up. You can also hit up the free resources of wisdom where I drop my favorite books, movies, quotes, anime, documentary, music, all of that, all at boldojo.com. And if you would like to help support this podcast, you can donate anything that you wish through the PayPal link, paypal.me forward slash A-D-A-M-O-O-I. Link is down below in the description or you can also donate directly through the website, also linked down in the description. Anything that you guys do donate is always extremely appreciated and just goes back to helping support the show and what I do here. So thank you very much. And if you do get anything from this piece of content, please let me know in a comment down below. I'll do my best to get back to you as soon as possible. And also please drop a thumbs up on the video. It just helps the YouTube algorithm, helps send out the video to more people in the community. And if you find that you resonated, share it with a friend who you think would resonate as well. Let's get into today's show. That your brother used to drive your head into the mud every day of school and when you came home after school and told you that you're never going to be as good as me. And so then you're, you, you're either you went one or two directions with that. You became this hardened motherfucker in which that, no, I'm going to resist any affront, any attack, perceive everything as an attack after that point, oversensitized, 
or maybe you become this dull mute point, this weakened, meek little hermit crab, just a hermit after after that, realizing that, yeah, I am I'm a piece of shit because I have my head rubbed into the dirt every single day of my life. This is not my story, but this is a very common story, right? If you allow sibling dominance to go too far. Or if you just take that from the, the parent's perspective or you take that from a perspective in which that, you know, getting cheated on at an early age will do that to you. Right? Getting cheated on at an early age. Just any abuse of trust is what we're talking about here. Any abuse of trust that was placed upon you, how could it, at a young age, how could that not corrupt the trust that you have with yourself? Those who believe themselves not to be worthy, either of themselves or of love in general, they don't trust themselves. They don't trust that that connection inside of themselves is either worth entertaining or illuminating for fear of that it is not there. I'm here to tell you that it's there for all of you. It's there for all of you. If you could but for a moment put down all of these paper walls within your mind, just let them go. Let them go for just a moment. And in a raw, vulnerable state in which that you had detached from social media, you had detached from highly processed junk food, highly processed mental food, social media. And if you just sat in presence for a day, and at the end of that day, once you had exhausted the rampant monkey mind within yourself, to in a raw, vulnerable state as you were lying down on the grass, looking up into the sky, to realize that. That. In the cessation of all thought, in the cessation of all attachment, that you do realize your intrinsic nature, who you actually are. And then a question would likely follow, which I would highly encourage. What about that? What about that gap, that experience, that state of selflessness that you just experienced is not whole? What about that moment you just experienced is not worth accepting, is not worth expressing to the entire world. How many of you, let me ask you a really brilliant question right here. How many of you have been in an experience of another human being and experienced the gap, experienced a deletion of self and time, in which that you have absolutely no idea where those words came from, where those actions came from, you don't even know what time it is, how much time has passed until the after the fact. And you just, but what you do remember Interestingly enough, interestingly enough, what you do remember is the love, peace, and joy that you felt inside. How can that be? How can it be that if there was no one present to observe all of these mechanics, all these things happening, these things, these doings, these sayings, if there was no one to observe that, yet what I do remember, and so because no one observing that, I don't know how much time went by, and I don't know who the hell said that or where, who the hell that came from. I don't even, I couldn't, I could never get back there is what I'm trying to say to you. When I was in that true state of flow, when I was in that real sense of flow right there, I wouldn't know how to say those things again. I wouldn't know how to be like that again. Great. Great. But why is it that you remember the feelings of that? What does it speak to that if you are left with a sense of calmness, overwhelming love, deeply filled joy, and a deeply centered and grounded peace within yourself? Why are these present? Why are these the remaining artifacts of a true flow experience, whether it be, most importantly, engaging another human being, but it can be in anything. A Japanese tea ceremony, playing basketball with your mates, surfing the waves, playing guitar. I'm sure for you nerds, 
coding a program and you just fucking nailed it, whatever it was. <laughs> Why is it after true flow experiences you are left feeling love, peace, and joy? Is it because in a true flow experience you tapped into your innate nature? You tapped into your self-worth, that which is undying, that which is eternal, that which will never be taken away from you. Whenever I've discussed value, your intrinsic value is something that can never be taken away from you, and thus it must be understood it can never be given to you. So stop seeking. Stop chasing. It's a futile chase. It's a cup that has no bottom. I want you all to find your cups. I want you all to find your cups and I want you to fill them. And upon filling your cup, give it to another. Start another one. In the temple of analogies. As you go to work on your temple every single day out in this Amazonian jungle. You're hammering away. You're laying the bricks. Right, you're slabbing. You're putting up doors. You're architecting. You're trying to design the best of who you could be, the best of a life you could experience so that you could give the best of experience to another person. And as travelers and wanderers and villagers, members of other villages come by your temple every day, some people love it. Some people go, look at that temple. What amazing temple. Keep sweeping. Keep hammering. Keep grinding. Keep laying. Keep building. Other people walk by. What a piece of shit. What a piece of shit. I've seen way better temples than this. This thing's a state of disrepair. This guy is not respectable. Why would I want to why would I want to be have anything to do with this temple? Fuck this temple. Keep swinging. Keep building. Keep hammering. Throughout your entire life, if you could manage to construct a temple every single day of your life in which that the enthusiasm, the diligence, the brilliance with which you would go to work on said temple was unattached from the thoughts and opinions of others, knowing that there will always be a more developed temple than yours. There will always be someone who is doing something better than you in this subjective and materialistic life. If you're going to base all of your sense of self-worth on these metrics of opinion, right? It's those that can look you in the eyes and say that I love your temple regardless of what state it's in because I love the person who is building. That's the person you want to be with. That's the person that you want to aspire to attract. And you know how you attract someone like that? by giving yourself that same validation. Upon validating yourself and upon giving yourself a reconnection to the worth within yourself, such you would be accessible to another who believes the same about themselves. It's one of the biggest realizations in this life, which is that all this time spent chasing, all this time spent trying to become the most financially successful, physically successful, the biggest ball, the biggest G, whatever it might be to you, over time spent doing that, I was blocking myself from all the people that I actually wanted to be with. If I had spent such less time, if I had just not done that and just worked on, okay, well, I've got a purpose in my life. I have a purpose in my life. And what that means is that 
There's a reason for why I get up every single morning. And the reason why I get up every single morning may be vehicleized through infinite mediums throughout my daily existence as a human being, whether it's as an economist, whether it's as an artist, a cook, a laborer, a financial consultant. And I might experience all of the, one person might experience all of those things in their entire lifetime. Yet the vehicle was not so important as the driver himself. That the state of the driver, the build of the driver was the most important thing always. Vehicles that come and go. Vehicles vary, vehicles range. The driver does not. The driver will always be the driver. The man building the temple will always be the man building the temple. Storms will come, destroy it, start again. Many, many moons of peace will pass his temple and such it remains in pristine condition. The man remains the same. I don't care what religion you come from. I don't care what spirituality or faith you come from. But it is not until you are faced with a dead body, someone very close to you, someone that you knew your entire life, maybe someone that gave birth to you, helped to give birth to you, that you start to realize that, okay, this body was a vehicle. This body was a garage housing something very special within it, something that animated this vehicle. The driver is no longer here. The driver has moved on, transitioned into the next. Such was the experience, the revelationary experience of being present with my dead father, seeing his body, kissing his body, holding his hand, realizing that my father was not his body. And these are all conceptual ideas, theoretical ideas until the moment, which I had come to peace with many, many years prior to the moment. Thank you to the brilliant works of Lao Tzu from 2,500 years ago in the Tao Te Ching and interpreters since, such as Wayne Dyer, Ding Ming Dao and the like, that have Stephen Mitchell as well, that have elaborated on his workings. But to come to this fundamental understanding that you are not your body, you are not the words, you are not the temple itself. Whenever I have used the temple analogy, it is always to describe your external dealings in this world, how you will face to the world, how you will manifest within this world. And so that's why, and this is why I've never made any pains about the ego, and I always say, the ego is necessity. If you wish to engage in the world of the cities, which is what I refer to as this world driven by ego, aka, if you don't want to live in a temple, if you don't want to seal yourself off in a life-sized urn and breathe away and fast your way, your days away until you're dead, attaining some form of eternal enlightenment, was, I guess, the goal of certain monks in Japan. If you don't want to live that, which I refer to as the world of the trees, if you would like to engage in the world of the cities, you must have an ego. And so we are faced with a problem in which that the ego is unruly. It is wild. It is reckless. Left unchecked, the ego will destroy, for the ego is self-serving by nature. However, if one was so conscious and conscientious to place a harness on that ego and say that I will direct this powerful force, I will direct it. I will harness it for meaningful work to be able to serve the beings of this world. Elon Musk has quite an ego, but he appears to be meaningfully harnessing it for the work that serves this world. 
You may not agree with all the work that he is doing, but he is surely not attempting to destroy the world at his such grand state. In the same way, that someone that works for a non-profit that wants to feed and clothe the homeless. They are, make no mistake, using an ego to do so. They are utilizing their subjective sense and perception of reality to make change within this external manifestation. Yet they appear to be doing so in a way that helps other people. And you can see on the complete flip, on the complete verse, converse, in which that you see people that it would be a debate as to whether they have consciously made the decision to fuck people over. If not, subconsciously, they have chosen that I will not manage, I will not harness my ego, I'll allow it to run wild. I will do so with the most dark and evil of intents to just take, self-serve, crush others, doesn't matter in the way. Doesn't matter who's in the way, crush them. So as long as I get my own and the ones that I care about get their own. You know, it's a dog-eat-dog world for them. It's a poison you or you poison me first world. They appear to be causing much harm to many people around the world. In their pursuits, in their pursuits driven by such intense ego. So we must, if we can understand at this point in the podcast, we must, for those of us that wish to use podcast mics and those that wish to listen to podcasts, for those of us that wish to entangle with 21st century society, we must also entangle with our egos. But we can do so in such a much more highly attuned way, highly conscious way. And part of that conscious way, by the way, just to help out for those of you who are wondering about where does meditation fit into all this or where does this sense of self-worth fit into all this? Because if you're saying that my sense of self-worth cannot be attached to an egoic idea, then how on earth can I manage these two things? And here, in fact, is the paradox. Thank you for bringing it up. <laughs> Herein lies the ultimate paradox in which that you must, in two hands, simultaneously both manage one the fact that I have an ego, but I will harness it for meaningful work. And two, I am not my meaningful work and I am not my ego itself. Apparently contradicting ideas. Apparently contradicting ideas. However, if you can step a little bit below the shallow, if you can go beneath the surface and go, the only reason why I would manage my ego and harness it for the most meaningful work possible is because I found something within myself. Something that words cannot describe. Something that could never be taken away from me. Something that I feel within me. Remember we were talking about flow state before? That love, peace, and joy that is a remaining artifact after a flow experience? I believe only those that would conduct themselves of the supremest of excellence, those that would seek to deliver the best experience to reduce suffering and increase the love, peace, and joy of people's lives, they would only do so because they had found something within themselves, maybe returned to something within themselves, maybe not developed or created or found, but simply returned. For I think it's impossible to live a life of self-serving, self-take, just taking from everyone else around you, to subtract from the quality of life so that you may add to yours and only yours and those who you care about. But for the most part, subtracting from everyone else. I think you could only walk that life if you had ignored something within you. If you had either ignored or not established a connection, a reconnection to that which in you. And of course, why would someone willingly, unwillingly, whether it's conscious or subconscious, ignore that fact that they have 
blocked a connection to something so whole, so intrinsic, so valuable within themselves, so as to confuse themselves to chase value outside of themselves. Pain. Pain is a powerful aphrodisiac. It'll arouse you into a chase, into a sense of thinking that the things outside of yourself are appetizing, carnally appetizing. We talked about pain a lot recently. We'll dive in now. Whenever I see someone who is operating from an egoic standpoint, not seeking to help anyone else but themselves, that person's in a lot of pain. When I see someone inflicting pain on others, that person is in a lot of pain. Whenever you hear that concept that human beings are intrinsically good, it's a very deep philosophical question, isn't it? Because from a Zen philosophy perspective, humans are neither good nor bad. Humans just are. Because good and bad is an attachment to labels and labels which our subjective minds create. What is good for another, bad for another. For my attachment to the words of good and bad, delude me. Keep me in a state of unawareness, unconsciousness. For I know that when I look in someone's eyes, words are not required to ascertain whether they are coming from a place of love, peace and joy, wholesome, equanimous, calm, centered, grounded. These words, butt fingers, pointing towards a moon of truth. Yeah, You can sense that when someone is coming from a place of darkness. People working in the psychological fields that sociopathic people, people that have absolutely zero empathy for others, completely self-focused, psychotic on the brink, on the brink of psych- psychosis in which that maybe 1% of the population forms that in the entire world. And so that's a lot of people. Like even if it's only 1% of a population of almost 8 billion, 1% is a lot of people. I'll say if that's, I don't know what 1% of 8 billion is. I'm going to, naturally I'm gravitating towards 8, 8, is that 800 million? 8 million. That'd be 8 million, yeah? Please correct me if I'm wrong. Mass was never my strong. But even if, let's say I'm right, let's say I'm like, I, mean, I'm, I think it's even if, it, even if it was 800,000, it's definitely not 800,000. But let's just, I'm pretty sure it's not 800,000. But even if it's just say 800,000, right? Even if it's say 800, let's just say that there were 800 right now, psychotic, sociopathic people in this world that didn't need to be in a state of pain themselves to inflict pain on others. That's pretty bad. That's pretty bad in and of itself. But is that reflective of the entire populace and human beings' condition on the whole? I don't think so. I think it is the outlier that proves the rule, which is that, yes, there are going to be aberrations at the edges. There are going to be aberrations in both directions. For example, ah, actually, this doesn't work, does it? You, did you guys sense where I was going there? We're playing around with these thoughts. I thought I was about to go to the complete opposite there, which I said, what about the aberration on the opposite? Someone that is just supremely benevolent. Someone like, say, like a Dalai Lama type, a Buddha type, a Jesus type, if you will, that is just the aberration in the opposite direction. Is that indicative? Is that reflective of the human condition? The romantic part of me wishes to say yes. The rational part of me wishes to say no. For that, I know that all these words are unnecessary. All these words are ridiculous. They mean nothing. They literally have no meaning. They come and they go. And I'm neither attached to the coming or going of my own words. All I'm trying to communicate to you with inside 
inside here is that which exists within. And I know we've been on many tangents, we've been on many bamboo shoots here. That's what today, that's really what today's session is. I haven't, you know what's amazing about today's session is I haven't even given you the context. <laughs> what are we, like 45, 50 minutes into today's podcast, I have not even given you the context of today's session, which was that I'm dealing with a client right now in which that he's having to reconnect to his own sense of self-worth, having to delete and destroy those paper walls get past his pain, get past his resistance and return back to that which is whole of it himself so that he can give the best experience to another person. He's someone that I'm working with that has for at least the last couple of years endeavored diligently to engage this process of social dynamics in which that you learn about yourself in relation to others. He's been training in both day and night arenas and finally reached an impasse after using every trick in the back Every tool in the bag that I has had as a coach in order to help people to work through the social skill set, right? If someone presents with flaws in their social skill set, I have many tools in order to target and many exercises to target bringing up that. If your eye contact is terrible, if your vocal projection, if your vocal tonality is terrible, right? If your body language is uncentered, right? There are ways that we can develop that that are not particularly complicated, but definitely require a high level of relentless action, sound feedback, accurate feedback and sound guidance. But there's a certain point at which that it's no longer a question of social skill. Is this person lacking in social skill? If this person keeps presenting blocks, if this person keeps going on their reflections, on their reviews back from a day out or a night out of having training social skills, that it was a it was a run, a slow run through a long barbed wire road that it was just pain the entire way through. And if someone keeps coming back with that, at a certain point, you realize that the pain they're experiencing and the barbed wire that they're running through has nothing to do with the fact that they can't run a social skill set-based interaction, that they don't have the necessary or adequate social skills to be able to go and meet someone. And it's because their tonality is so far off. It's because their body language is so off, et cetera, et cetera. That's why they're in so much pain. Like that, that pain lasts like a few weeks, depending on the principles I mentioned before the degree to your relentless action, the degree to your sound guidance, the degree to your accurate feedback, those key pillars of when it comes to training social skill. If you have that on tap, absolutely on tap, and you're not the absolute most hard case of all hard cases, you're going to very quickly realize that there's not that much pain in not being socially perfect, in socially amazing. It's like, as long as I'm doing like a five out of 10 in all of those things, I can get through a session without too much self-destruction. So where is the self-destruction coming from? If someone, and actually for this client in particular, who is much higher than a five out of 10 in all of these social skill, social skill metrics that I just mentioned when it comes to their 50, yet he experiences tremendous level of self-destruction at the end of every single session. Some sessions never getting off the ground. And if they do get off the ground, it is pain. It is blood through the wire. There must be something else happening here. Ooh, maybe a disconnection of their emotional skill aka the ability to reconnect to their sense of worth, their value intrinsically as a human being, to know that your intrinsic as a human being is not dependent upon the external outcome. It'll never be found in another human being. It'll never be found in the words, in the actions of someone else, in the loving approval, the appraise, the praise of another, which I think largely would only lead you to finding, finding out for yourself that that only hurts. It hurts more when someone 
gives you what you thought you wanted. Not knowing that what you thought you wanted was that which would destroy you. What I'm saying in real terms there is that it hurts more when you thought that going out and having sex tonight would be the thing that makes you feel whole, makes you feel like you have a sense of worth, and you actually do it. But it actually happens. And then you wake up in bed the next morning thinking, not even just thinking, but a gentle tear elapsing from the corner of your eye. I once had a client who that was the exact situation for. A client in New South Wales, he was a young guy, young male, Aussie, and he had moved into the CBD and was just going out working on his social skills, right? He was living with four or five roommates at the time, went out to the club one night, met a girl pretty in the early hours, I believe, and she was down, she was happy to go with him, back to his apartment, they had sex, it was okay, there's no particular issue within the sex itself, but then he just woke up the next morning and started crying. Not belligerently, not distraught, just a gentle tear elapsing from the corner of his eye. Why? Was it because he realized that his sense of worth was not to be found in this sexual endeavor, in the validation of this girl coming back to his apartment? Or was it because of what that revealed about himself, that his pursuit of of sexuality, his pursuit of sexual validation revealed to him that he had not validated himself. He had not loved himself. He did not deem himself to be worthy. That's more painful. That's far more painful. Most people would never recognize that though. Most people don't get to that level of recognition. Most people aren't working with a coach that would force that, realize that, not force, that would force them to a realization. I can never force a realization upon someone, but I can certainly bring people to a position in which that they have no choice but to realize it within themselves. Questioning and questions are my tools. I often say that to myself before each session with every client, multiple times a week at least, where I say questions are your tools. Questions are your tools. It is not my role as a man in the field to give you the answer. It is my role as the man in the field for you to realize that you are the answer. And upon realizing that you are the answer, may you find your peace. May you find your connection back to who you are. The undying, the eternal. That worth. If you got anything from today's podcast, I hope you realize that whether human beings are good or bad, doesn't matter. Whether you want to chase material objects or not, doesn't really matter. It's why you're doing it. You can chase the material, you can chase the external, all you want. You can harness your ego, all you want, but why you're doing it. There are people in this world that have much, have many, that are cool people, that, are, that have cool things, that do cool things. But is it their primary mode of operation? Are they doing it to be cool? Or are they doing it because they're trying to improve the experience of other human beings? Yeah. Like, we, I don't pretend to be an angel devoid of all ego here with you. It's the complete opposite, actually. I have an overwhelming ego. I have, a, I have an ego that is, that is robust, that is strong, that has strong legs, very strong legs, a very strong heart my ego has. 
and sword is very powerful, but I make sure that its power is harnessed. And so I'll sit down and make this podcast. I'll sit down and work with people through their trauma, through their pain, helping them to overcome their self-imposed inadequacies in order to be able to find out who they are, reconnect to who they are. That requires a tremendous level of ego. And someone might look at that as I'm going to work on that temple and say, that's fucking cool. That's fucking dope. Awesome, man. Great stuff. And I'll be like, okay. Okay. I'm going to get back over to this temple, but okay. Thank you. Okay. When I, when I wake up on Sunday, not Sunday, or Saturday. When I wake up on Saturday morning next to a beautiful young woman who wants nothing more than to just nuzzle into me, smother me, wants me to drag my lip upon hers. Pressing my heart towards hers. Breathing life into her as she breathes life into me. Feeling an overwhelming sense of love and flow in the moment of time. A universe in time. Some people might look at that and go, as naked bodies pressed, might look at that and go, that's fucking dope, that's cool, I want that, awesome man, you're amazing. And I say, okay, okay, I'm going to get back to my temple over here, I'm going to get back to what I need to do in life over here, I'm going to get back to that which I know is the actual sense of value that exists within me, I'm going to get back to my sense of worth, reconnect to who I am, but okay. Thank you. When my best friend took his life and people would say to me, I feel so sorry for you, Adam. I feel so bad for you, Adam. Right? And they endow you with a host of qualities which you surely know that they have no connection to knowing that about you, right? You know, people say to you, you're such a loving person, you're such a kind person, you're such a, a peaceful person and it's why I don't, don't allow this to sway you, right? They're endowing you with qualities with which that they could never, they couldn't give that to you. It's just a reflection, it's just a perception that they are reflecting onto you. I say, okay, okay, thank you. I'm going to get back to what I need to do over here. I'm going to get back to working on me. I'm going to get back to building my temple, developing my qualities in this world to help live a better life, knowing that at the end of each day on this temple, there's an inner garden that I go up to. There's an inner garden that I transcend to every single night in which that I just I lie down on the grass I'm surrounded by giant plants carrying many fruits. And I just breathe, looking up into the moonlit sky, stars abundant, realizing, reconnecting back to who I am. After all this work throughout these days, after acknowledging all these subjective labels, after acknowledging all these worlds of all worlds of cities, right? And you go through these experiences in which that you have the most most mind-blowing, sexually arousing experiences with a woman that just words cannot describe the connection that you feel with her 
and you look at the photo that you guys take in the mirror naked together the next morning and you go, okay, okay, there's a lot of work there. There's a lot of, there's a lot of material there through which the ego could get extremely rampant and wild with. Or you can look at that photo and you can go, okay, okay, thank you, thank you. And I don't mean that facetiously. I mean that legitimately. And I don't mean that facetiously for when, uh, when I was giving that example of my best friend who took his life. I mean that when I say that people would say, you're so strong, you're so kind, you're so peaceful, you'll be fine, you'll be, you'll be just fine. And it's like they're trying to tell you how you should be and they're trying to tell you how you are. I'm not being facetious when I say thank you or okay. I'm legitimately saying thank you. Thank you for consideration. I really appreciate it. But I'm not going to take it to my heart. I'm not going to take it to my ego. It's like when my father passed away and you just saw hundreds of comments on my Instagram from people just saying the most not, the most beautiful and nice things about me, about my father. And it's like, okay. It's like, okay. I really appreciate it. I really do consider it. But not for a second am I going to allow that to inform my sense of value, my sense of worth. How many likes a post gets, how many comments a post gets, how much money is in my bank account, how many women that I've been with, how many cars that I drive, what kind of cars that I drive, the houses that I've been in, the places that I've traveled. None of that informs who I am. None of that defines who you are. None of that in, in any way, shape or form would help to map out your purpose in this life, your work in this life, what you need to do, how you can reconnect back to yourself, how you can transcend your pain, your trauma. How you can come to that place of love, peace, and joy within yourself. None of this external water, none of this external manifestation or subjective perception would ever inform any of what I have said in today's podcast about reconnecting to who you are, about finding that sense of worth within yourself. I can't remember which philosopher, it was most likely a Zen philosopher, I can't remember which one said this. I believe it was Zen Master Sung Sung. Red appears in the mirror and it's red. Yellow appears in the mirror, is yellow. A mountain appears in the mirror, and the mirror is the mountain. The river appears in the mirror. The river is the mirror. The mirror is the river. Whatever appears in the mirror, it becomes, because it is devoid of attachment to what comes and what goes. I'm only paraphrasing there, but that is the gist of something he mentions several times in Dropping Ashes on the Buddha. And I am just like this, and so are you. Whatever accolades you may receive in this life, whatever external validation may be pushed upon you, see yourself as that mirror, reflect it back, put it back, it's not who you are, comes and it goes. These clouds, they come and they go, but the moon behind it will always exist. The truth of who you are will always exist behind the coming and going of all these fleeting things. In a world of glass roses and wooden men, your intrinsic value is not determined by that outside of yourself. Your self-worth is something that could only be found within you. And it's there for all of you. You need but put down all the pain within yourself. You need but put down the deep, deep fangs and claws that you have entrenched within the pain of your life to recognize that the pain only exists because I choose to hold on to it. Pain is a cloak. Pain cloaks the love that exists within you the worth within you. You could almost surmise that your worth is your love and your love is your worth. Something that can never be taken away from you. Of man's last dying freedoms, that which could never be taken from him. The will to choose, as Victor E. Frankl once said in Man's Search for Meaning. Paraphrasing again, but the general gist. 
no one can take away from you your choice. Your attitude. Your attitude to your perception of life. How powerful and how much more powerful you could be if you realized this about yourself. How much easier your life would be. When I say easier, I'm not referring to having a life in which that everything is done for you and everything just works for you and everything goes perfectly for you. No, I'm saying the ease with which you confront your obstacles. The ease with which you come into acceptance and totality with the experience of your life. When you are beset by the trials of your life, which means to be surrounded by all walls, when the walls are closing in on you, to not lash out and to not thrash around like a child in a supermarket, but to be as the turtle does in the sun, as the turtle sitting in the sun happily receives. And as a cloud passes by, the turtle also receives. It comes and it goes. This obstacle, it comes and it goes. This pain in my life, it comes and it goes. My attachment to thought comes and it goes. Hopefully, as I grew wiser and wiser in my years and my experience in this life, its coming would be a little less frequent. And so the going would not be so necessary. But alas, I am a human. And so are you. And therefore, we must contain and contend with the containment of our minds. The meditation, the flow state, the sexual spiritual connection, the guitar, the Japanese terry ceremony, the Japanese tea ceremony, the gardening. Simply laying in bed with someone that you love, brushing the hair off their forehead. These things, these moments. A window they offer you to your own salvation. Flow is salvation. Understanding who you are and your sense of worth in this life is salvation. Salvation from that which would distract you. Salvation from the forces and the beings in this world that maybe don't have the best interest. And that's okay. What a boring life it would be if everyone here was benevolent. And as I said earlier in this podcast, or if I didn't, I'll say it now. I think there is a micro-fraction, an aberration at the edge of our society that does not have benevolence within themselves. And that is very much a surface-level idea that could be unpacked to an even more spiritual essence of why that might be. We don't need to go that deep. We can just keep it out. Yes, there are psycho, there are psychotics, there are sociopaths in the world, but it is few and far between. It is not most people. And most people that demonstrate some form of sociopathic behavior aren't necessarily sociopathic given on themselves. They're not. What I'm trying to say there is that just because someone demonstrates some form of darkness does not mean they are inherently dark. In the same way that just because someone demonstrates some form of goodness does not mean they are inherently good. It has to go both ways here. Now, there is a little sense, uh, what I'd like to bring in here, which is a little sense of metaphorical truth. Literal falsehood, but metaphorical truth, as Dr. Brett Weinstein would elapse on, which that, would it help though to hold a view, a worldview, that human beings are inherently good, that human beings, if but the fact that they demonstrated some form of darkness in their lives, were not barred off, were not 
incapable of demonstrating goodness once more, I think you'll be better off. Would it not benefit us to hold a view that, no, we are all inherently good, and if when darkness is experienced and when badness is experienced, it is an aberration? I think so. I think that even if that was literally false, it would be metaphorically true in the sense that you'd be better off if you held that belief. Because it would allow you to have an extra added level of compassion and empathy for those that are experiencing darkness and badness. And I don't think it takes that much life experience. It takes a few years out of high school if you go travel around the world and you know, go experience a few different countries, go work in a few different uh, fields of work in, in society, you know, just meet a few different people from a few different walks of life. And very quickly you realize that we're a lot more alike than we are different. We have a lot more in commonality, even bridging language gaps, than we have in differences. That the majority of human beings in society are not out to rob and kill you. The majority of human beings are not out to viciously rape and see the anarchal, the the anarchy of society in which that everything breaks down into just complete chaos. That's not most people. So personally, if there is one literal falsehood I like to allow myself, if there's one that I could incorporate into my egoic being, it's that. I think all human beings are good. Intrinsically, apart from the aberrations on the absolute edges of society, I believe intrinsically human beings are good. But I'm taking that as a metaphorical intrinsic belief. There is of course, there is very much a part of me that goes, well, actually, literally speaking, neither good nor bad, just are. That's the crux of it. But I don't operate on that. Because if I operated on that belief, I could see myself becoming quite indifferent and quite gray and banal benign to the experiences of human beings. I think that in order to relate to human beings, you have to operate on the level of human beings. You cannot make yourself a, you cannot make a God of yourself. You cannot make a God of yourself if you hope to relate to other people. I think that's why I resonate, not that I would refer to myself as a Buddhist, but I think why I resonate with not only Zen philosophy, but Buddhist teachings in general, or Buddha's teachings in general, in which that, Buddha was just a man. Buddha was just a man who saw the sufferings of life and wanted to do away with them, right? Born into affluence and decided to subject himself to poverty and to relinquish all of his attachments in life and to sit underneath the Bodhi tree. And so people would come and ask him questions in a world that was so attached, in a world that was so attached to subjective means and to materialistic means that there was this one man walking around that had seemed to have find, found this ever elusive, hard to pin down, definable concept of enlightenment. This man is enlightened in the way that he looks at me. If the Buddha had seen himself as a god in the way that other people tend to treat him, although I do not treat Buddha as god or as a god, I don't think, I think the way that Buddha portrayed himself, at least in the retellings, was not godlike. He did not see himself as separate from all beings. He didn't see himself as detached from the intrinsic nature of humanity. He realized that he was humanity. That's the oneness in all of us. Did, Buddha, did the Buddha have any problems with sense of self-worth? Maybe at one time. But I think in attaining, in attaining and achieving his enlightenment, he realized what self-worth was. And so the need for words to describe that left him. That's what this podcast is about today. 
We use words because words are rafts that help us to cross the river. But at some point, you have to leave the raft behind and you have to cross the other side in order to realize there was no other side. We use fingers, words, to point towards moons, truth. At some point, you have to put down the fingers. You have to stop looking at the fingers to see the moon. To realize that the moon existed within you. We can go all day with these analogies. But if you have not, at the end of this podcast, realized that your sense of self-worth is to be found when you stop thinking about sense of self-worth. That the more that you perpetuate this egoic carousel of ruminization and realization and armchair theorization, that you only take yourself further away from it. It's like you take yourself closer and as you get closer and closer and closer to the truth, the closer you get to the truth, the further you get away from it. The more you talk about it, you get closer and closer and closer until it starts to take you further and further away from it. I like that a lot. It's, that is the truth. That is the truth, which is why at the end of every single podcast, when we get to this level of depth, when we're talking about these concepts, these philosophical concepts of good and inherent goodness, inherent badness, we're talking about whether you're developing your sense or deriving, that was the word I was looking for before, deriving your sense of validation and worth in the external, the internal. We use all these different frameworks, these analogies, these metaphors, the temples, right, the principles, the gardens, everything. It always to bring you to a point at the end of these sessions that you would just shut up and three, two, one. That you would breathe in to the very depths of your core, that you would let the breath hold, that it would sit. And then you would release the breath, slowly, until you had emptied out your entire being. And then you let the emptiness sit. I don't think many people realize this about breathing, particularly if you're looking at the 478 method or whatever it is. No, it is 478. Four seconds in, hold for seven seconds, eight seconds out. Or whatever methodology of breathing you want to use, box breathing, whatever it is, Wim Hof breathing. I don't think people realize that in the same way that when you're meditating, it's not the thoughts that matter. It's the silence. It's the gap. In the same way of breathing, it's not the breath so much that matters in terms of your focus. It's the emptiness. Everyone focuses on the inhalation. But once you empty it out, do you ever just sit with the emptiness? It's the reason why when you breathe in and you inhale deeply, and I'm talking about the physiological benefits of that and also holding the breath and the benefits of that, but relaxation on the vagus nerve, etc. But what it prepares you to do, the reason why you, at least philosophically and psychologically, if you want to talk about reaching a level of cessation when it comes to thought and rampant perception, that you prepare yourself to enter a state of emptiness. Now, you don't just breathe in and then breathe out. No, you breathe in, hold. Prepare yourself to become empty. 
So you breathe in for four seconds as deeply as you possibly can. Hold. Give it seven. And then out for eight. Once it's all out, hold it out, sit in the emptiness. And then you can breathe in. If you were to do this for about five minutes a day, and in your breathing practice, you just focused on the fact that I'm sitting in emptiness, true emptiness. I breathed in deeply. I held it, which prepared me to empty it all out. I emptied it all out very slowly, but once emptying it out, I didn't go to breathe in immediately. It's in that moment where you stop that biological hardwiring to want to move on to the next thing, which is a self-sustaining, life-sustaining thing, which is why it makes sense. you got to breathe, but not as quickly as you think you do. The body has a built-in mechanism to prevent its own self-destruction, which is why when you, when you go to hold your breath underwater, that feeling of that I'm running out of breath, that is a preemptive measure to prevent self-destruction. You wouldn't even when you feel like I can no longer breathe anymore underwater, you can, you got quite a bit left in the tank, a lot more than you think you do. As you start to learn how to breathe underwater, you realize I actually have tremendous capacity to breathe underwater. It's that I psychologically freak out in order to prevent self-destruction. Makes sense, of course. If, if from a biological standpoint, if this crazy motherfucker is going to try and drown us, we should probably install a system in which that we over-sensitize him to the feeling of running out of oxygen so that we would make sure he would never run out of oxygen. Or if the buildup, more specifically underwater, if he has too much of a buildup of CO2 in his lungs, that we would make sure that he has a way of dumping CO2 too quickly because that's actually what's happening when you're underwater. Anyways, getting beyond that particular analogy, here, back to the main point, for those of you that are deep in the breathing practice, which I hope that you are, even if it's about five minutes of a day, in that breathing, focus on the emptiness. Focus on the space, on the stillness. Focus on that which you don't have conscious control of. For to focus on emptiness, what you realize, even in this little demo that I did with you here today, all thought stops. Because to focus on emptiness is a bit of a paradox in and of itself. As you go to say, okay, as I empty out this breath all the way out, I'm going to just hold it out. Don't let any air back in. As you don't let any air back in, you know what you do? You open yourself up to the full experience of life. You realize the space that was available to you. And so whatever trauma you were experiencing, whatever disconnect you were experiencing, whatever corruption in your sense of worth there was, aka a blocking of the light shining from within yourself, wherever that was, you finally get a reprieve. You finally get a peel back. You finally get a reconnection back to whatever that was. Imagine if you did that for 10 minutes. 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Imagine if you spent the majority of your day experiencing space rather than always having to be filled, filled with food, filled with psychological stimulation through video games, social media, pornography. I was going to say pornographic material. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know why that didn't come out right. We'll look back at that one. <laughs> pornography. A constant stimulation is what I'm saying here. A constant enrapture with that which is being filling. To always be full. Not realizing that the value is in the emptiness. 
in the space. I was at a Seeds of Ember, the last Seeds of Ember event here in Adelaide, and because the guys are going on tour around Australia, uh, thank you to Reese and Sarah and Tom and all the team there. And at Seeds of Ember, I've discussed these guys in many bowl sips, but also in a few different podcasts. It's a group event in which that it's a movement, it's yoga, it's tai chi. Some, sometimes very physical, sometimes not as physical, but a lot of slapping, a lot of roaring, chanting, sound bath, drums, harp, etc. It's a full two-hour connection with a room full of strangers, which ends up just being a room full of family. And you see people cry, you see people laugh, you see people experience themselves. I right, really reconnect, reconnect back to themselves in these events. Haven't been to one in a while, but I went to like eight or nine of them in a row. Went to one last night for the first time in a while, uh, just on my own. Sometimes I bring people with me, but just on my own, I know a lot of people were there anyway. And it never ceases to amaze me when we do the breathing exercises, how the true value is in the space. Even when going through ecstatic movement or going through a didgeridoo being blasted into your ears it's the space in between the sounds that helps you to reconnect back to who you are it's once you are done vigorously going through animalistic movements shaking out all the energy within your body that you come to be silent that you realize who you are it's after having some of the most wild, intense, aggressive sex you've ever had in your entire life. It's in those very few moments after orgasm that you reconnect back to who you are. It's after being asleep and waking up in the morning as the light filters through the windows, looking into her eyes. Attaining a sense of silence that lasted an eternity in one moment. That you recognize who you are. I want to hear her talk. I want to hear her talk to me. I want to move my body. I want to shout. I want to scream. I want to run. I want to lift. I want to kick. I want to elbow. I want to swim. I want to roll. I want to handstand. I want to do. I want to. But only so that I could come back. A clearing of space is what I am elaborating on here and pointing you towards as you go throughout your lives and the rest of this week, my friends, and hopefully throughout the rest of your lives as well, that if you could put a little emphasis on the space in your life, where in my life can I make a little more room what in my life does not serve at the moment? Where am I wasting time that could be better spent experiencing within myself? For those that have fear of missing out, for those that get bored in life, that concept is highly irrational and makes almost no sense to me whatsoever. It's like you are one of the most brilliant, one of the most brilliant creations of computational power in this entire world, not realizing that actually the most powerful function within that computer is the ability to shut down we are as far as we know there is no other being in this world that has the ability to shut down their own perception there are very few beings in this world that have the perception of their own self but to have the perception of own self and also the capacity to shut down perception of own self 
to disentangle yourself from who you think you are and to come into who you actually are. That is one of the most brilliant things in the world, which is why I, I don't remember, it was many, many years ago, but I think it was Eckhart Tolle that once mentioned this, which is that there's no such thing as being bored. Like, I'm never bored. I remember Eckhart saying this in an interview. I'm never bored. I'm never waiting and I'm never bored. I'm only here. I'm just here now. And that completely changed my perception and the word bored and waiting never exists in my mind. I'm never waiting for anything and I'm never bored. Bored is attached to something that should be happening or something better that could be happening. Waiting is attached to something that you want to happen because you are unhappy with the satisfaction of what's happening right now. So all we're looking at here is an attachment to either the past or the future. That's what you mean when you're being bored or waiting. You're saying I'm highly attached. What would it mean to unattach, to detach? To detach would be to come into the presence of now. Love of now. It's here for you now. So much space for you now. Enjoy now. And in enjoying now, you will reconnect to who you are and you will find your sense of worth. These handbags, these playstations, these dope jeans, these dope rides, these, these expensive vacations, these jobs, these houses, these watches. Get them. Go get them. So you may realize that you never needed them. Want to go out and drink alcohol all night? Go drink alcohol all night. Want to eat shit food? Want to watch porn? Go eat shit food, watch porn. By all means. As long as you're not hurting anyone else, go do all these other things. So that you may realize that the only person you're hurting is yourself. As far as we know, you exist one time in this physical manifestation in this life. What's to be said of other universes, parallel universes, parallel experiences? What's to be said of the multiverse? What's to be said of a thread of karmic lives in which that you are destined to repeat the lessons from which you have not learned in this life? And so you come back in the next from that which you could not resolve in this. Okay. Okay, maybe. Maybe. I do not know. I certainly do not know. But what I do know is this, there is only one thing that is concrete available to all of us, which is now. We only have right now. Now is only now. Today is only today. So do what you will. Your height of pain and your height of pleasure will be the outcome of how you choose to do with what you will now. I think a clear compass towards whether you experience pain or pleasure in this life is heavily magnetized by the fact of whether you are connected to your sense of worth and where that comes from. If your sense of worth comes from everything outside of yourself, you are destined to a life of pain. For there is no assuredness and for there is no guarantee that that sense of self-worth will ever be there today or tomorrow or the next. But a path of pleasure is available to all of you who choose to realize that you are worthy. You are, you are worthy. Not that you have worthiness, but you are 
worthy. You need but come back to it. You need but return to that which is available to you and always was. For the trials of your life had beset you. For the pain of your life had beset you. For the pain inflicted upon you, you could not escape. And so you must have developed coping mechanisms to derive your sense of self-worth in the external. That need not be any longer. Resist no longer. Struggle no longer. Return now. Come back to now. And in now, you'll find your worth. I hope you all felt that emptiness. Within emptiness, you will find wholeness. And with that being said, my friends, I wish you all so much love, peace, and joy on your journeys in life. I'm always here with you. Ciao. And that brings me to my thanks for all of you. Thank you, first off, for just being here, your presence. But please let me know. Let me know in a comment down below where you are in your lives, how you felt about this, any commentary. I'll do my best to get back as soon as I possibly can. And also, if you did enjoy the content, please hit the thumbs up on the YouTube video. It just helps it get sent out to more people in the community. And if you feel like this would resonate with someone else, please share it to some of your close friends. If you would like to dive into one-on-one coaching, that's all available on boldojo.com. Guided meditation. Free resources of wisdom. Free weekly on my newsletter, Bold Sip. Chuck your email in. comes out every Friday. That's all available. All the links down below. And if you would like to support the podcast directly, you can donate anything that you wish through the PayPal link down below or on the website, baldoja.com in the podcast section. Anything that you guys give is always super appreciated. So thank you very much. Wishing you all the love, peace, and joy in this life.